Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello there, Internet. Welcome to Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships in all your favorite movies. Will there be learning? Uh, yeah. Will there be some science? Yep. And where there'll be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Heck yeah. Ugh, Joanna, that is such a mouthful for us to spit out (laughs) so early in the morning. We're going to get better at it. It'll be fun. We're nailing it. Our audience is sitting on the edge of their seat wondering whether or not we can get through those really overly complex sentences. Yep. And we wrote it. It's up to us. And we're like, I'm committed. I'm committed. So So thank you, everybody, for coming back and attending part two of our premiere of Real Psych, your new favorite podcast. (laughs) It's for real ones only. That's what we should. Let's already make merch. This is real ones only. (laughs) R-E-E-L. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so we are now in a different place, in a different time. Um, And so this episode, I'm recording from my childhood bedroom in Holly, Michigan. I am recording from my sister's childhood bedroom in uh, Long Island, New York. I'm so excited to be finally home after a long time of not home and have a relatively normal holiday. Yeah. Yeah, this one almost didn't happen again because of Omicron. I yeah, so, I think actually if Christmas was like January tenth, none of us would be traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, luckily I live like an hour away, but my sisters couldn't come out, and so it's just me and my parents, and but still like you know, better than nothing. So. Better than nothing. Rapid tests are available for people to buy in some places. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. The other day I went to a CVS in my hometown and there was just a stack of them on the counter really? at checkout. And I looked at the guy and I tried to take two and I was like, could I take two of these? And he goes, yeah, they're $9.99 each though. <laughs> I was wow. like, no, that's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, they were individual. Te- like the ones that I okay. buy in LA are two packs. Right. This is just individual, but not trying to, not trying to brag, but look at this. Wow. Flowflex. Did they, did they make them like more available This podcast yet? brought to you by Flowflex. <laughs> Are they more like available now? Because I know that when we were trying to get them, like they were uppriced and were like impossible to find. A lot of the major like sales points are not, uh, are have declared that they will not price gouge on them. Which is good. Like, I know Amazon and I think Walmart and Target and probably CVS Rite Aid have said they will sell them at cost, basically. Um, Which, good. 
Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think it's just, I don't know that there are more available. I think it's that um, I'm in Trump country. That, uh, okay. I'm out in, in the boonies in Michigan. Right. And I think people don't think that it's like a thing. Just don't care as much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people are like, okay, a rapid test. Nine dollars for a rapid test. Right. I'll just wait. Yeah. And see. It's a dark Cool. Time. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's a dark time to be a person. <laughs> let's talk about the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's talk about it. Hard pivot. Um, yeah, so we are going to talk about... Uh, a movie today that usually for the intro we have one of us choose a movie and the other one guess it but we're still we're we're still learning how to be a podcast so the audio on our other one was not good so we're just going to kind of dive into it and and talk about um you know introduce the movie a little bit um yeah. so there I, was a gorgeous moment where i got to be really surprised by yeah. the movie and then yeah. it was really echoey it sounded really it. bad we scrapped yeah. it so it was there and it was sincere right do you want but, to like do a fake one? Oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. let's <laughs> okay, okay, let's try one okay okay so i'm gonna give you a hint about okay. what the movie is okay the, the um this is the tagline celebrate the greatest love story of all time Risk everything for true love. It's got to be Gangs of New York. <laughs> close, sort of. Oh, okay, close. It's about gangs in New York. It's got to be Dangerous Minds. <laughs> Try again. It's West Side Story. Yes. Yes, it is. And the new one. So... The Nouveau West Side fun. Story. Yeah. It's a new um, uh, reimagining. Yeah. If you will. Uh, but yeah, I chose this movie because I thought there were just like a lot of interesting dynamics to explore. We have, you know, gang violence. We have, uh, you know, relationships. We have sacrifice. We have the immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. Race and ethnic um, relations. Totally. So, uh, yeah, I thought it would be rich with... Uh, interpretations and and directions we could go in well and it's also such a nice pick in that it's we both have a lot of personal experience that we can speak to that sort of either expertise within what we've studied or just lived life that we have in here yeah and I think it's also just a movie that a lot of people are probably excited to see and talk about in a time when you're not supposed to gather and talk about things right uh and so I'm really excited to talk about it I'm really excited that you picked it. Yay, me too. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break to uh, let you all hear a word from our many, many, many sponsors. <laughs> this is such a deeply monetized podcast that's going to be a long, it's probably at least 40 to 60 minutes of ads. Yeah, so just for, hang in there. For us to make thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, <laughs> when these ads are done, we will be right back. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, that was we a movie. We are back, yeah. So much time has passed. So much time. <laughs> we did see this uh, at very. We did see this at very different times. I saw this the day after it came out. I think. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I saw it really early. And in L.A., right? In L.A. Yeah. That's a whole experience. It's it's a whole other experience. You saw it on site at Lincoln Center. (laughs) So I saw it uh, on the 23rd, which was like a Wednesday. So it was getting kind of scary because of Omicron, and I was like, how am I going to go to the movie theater? Yeah. Um, So I ended up trying to be strategic about it, going at like, yeah, on a Wednesday, the first showing of the day, 11 a.m., and there was five other people in the theater, so I felt okay about it. But yeah. I ended up going with my parents, since, uh, you know, both my sisters aren't aren't home, so I kind of, you know, asked my parents, like, hey, do you want to, I have to go, like, see this movie. And they both were like, yes, we're coming. So I was like... Wow, your parents are this movie. So, yeah, so I was sitting there between them, and I'd never seen West Side Story before, and there's, like, a tall, white, like, tall gringo, and this, like, tiny (laughs) Latina woman, (laughs) and my parents, my parents are both, like, this, I mean, like, minus the murder and the gang violence, like, this is our, this is our story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, I mean, there was dancing, but, like, you know, not, like, choreographed like that, but. Yeah, it was like I was sitting between them and I was just like looking at both sides, <laughs> looking at the screen like this is, uh, yeah, this is it was what... your West Side origin story. Totally. If if, you know, the murder hadn't happened, it's my parents, it would have been, you know, it's like an alternative ending. <laughs> yeah. So many, so many dead. Yeah. Three, three yeah. dead. Yep. But, you know, one for each of their children. exactly um that's not funny uh but yeah so (laughs) (laughs) i mean like there was a child created for every life lost right right yeah so it's net net neutral um (laughs) so yeah it was it was a really fun experience to go with both my parents that wasn't the original plan and i'm like glad that it worked out like that that's so funny i saw this i saw this with uh it was four gay guys who went <laughs> together. Uh, one of them is trans. And we watched it, and we had very different experiences of watching this this movie. Yeah. Did you know that that was going to be a part of this, like, uh, version? Um, well, I knew that uh, Anybody's was a character in the original, which I had seen right. being a gay fan of musical theater. Uh, I knew that, and I know all the music pretty well and uh, the dancing and all of that. And so I knew in the original, it was sort of this like tomboy portrayal where it was very much like girl as tomboy, which I guess when this movie was originally made was sort of one of the closer versions to trans mask, trans, you know, to non-binary masculine kind of experience without those words being the words that were there. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, it was an interesting moment because we, my friends and I went and saw this movie and um, and the three cis gay men were like, wow, this movie was unbelievable. <laughs> what an incredible cast. What an incredible job. This, Anita is a star. Yeah, like we really totally. had these reactions. And then the trans gay guy was like, yeah, I sure did watch this and just think, I sure don't want to be trans. Really? I don't want to be trans while I watch this movie. I just want to watch this movie. 
Okay. And he had a very different sort of view, which, I mean, like, the, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. We watched it, and I remember think my first thought as a cis man was, oh, great. They've right. made this character, they've made a character trans that, that makes sense to have made. Right. Trans in that, and, and again, for those of you who haven't seen it, the this tomboy character, we get a line from them. I'll, I'll use he, him, they, them pronouns to describe the character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they used, uh, they, they had them say, I'm not a girl, very plainly, in the Officer Krupke scene. Right. And then they, I think, punch the police officer or something and then run off. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the sort of climactic moment after this character has risked their life repeatedly. I mean, really risked their life. Yeah. Like, he's, he is running in circles that are already dangerous just to continue to try to be himself. And so he's risking his life, putting himself in danger, only to continue to be abused and rejected. Right. And then at the very end, after he's done a lot of legwork mm-hmm. gets the nice job buddy boy. So right. gets a sort of masculine affirming thing. So I was watching it being like, wow, that's so powerful. Yeah. And my friend watched it and was basically like, you're working this hard to be affirmed by racist, rapist, transphobic dick bags. Yeah who are just shitty people. They continue to abuse you, and all you're looking for is acceptance from your abuser. So as a trans person, he watched this being like, all I'm doing is seeing a trans person being beaten up on screen. Yeah, like victimization. Victimization, which, and and I gotta say, and I, in the the moment, I definitely knew like, "Mm, this is not a perfect thing. It does feel... As a cis person, my first thought was like, this does feel like progress, I guess. But granted, it's a movie that is told from the perspective of the Jets. Right. You are watching this from a white lens. Totally. The whole story. And so you're also watching this from a cis lens. And so it did feel a little bit like a a pittance. I thought that that was like a, I mean, not to just go into like, I don't know, crit, like critic, critic, uh, mode but like I thought that that was a really interesting aspect of this movie or of West Side Story in general is like I this idea of like I guess that's progress because I was talking to my dad and he had seen the original like when he was like Mm -hmm. 11 and um you know the in the original obviously there's like a lot of problematic stuff in there with none of the sharks being uh you know actually people of color right there's like people in Right. Brown face and I mean, you know, Brita Moreno's, you know, like the, a star. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, you know, actually uh, Puerto Rican. But, you know, like I, I, I was talking to my dad about that because I saw like a clip and I was like, what the hell? And he was like, honestly, ev- to even have <clears throat> a story that highlighted, uh, that highlighted the immigrant experience or like. The experience yeah. of the this group of people that was largely ignored before that in cinema was progressive for the time. And I was like, I get, yeah, like, you know, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a story about an interracial relationship. Right. Like, yeah, I, that is true. And I think this is maybe pushing the needle, you know, in terms of gender identity, like, but still there's so much more 
to do. You know, there's so much more progress that can be made. Um, well, I mean, and I definitely got in the way that, especially now in hindsight, like looking back at this character, anybody's and the way that they're constantly trying to include themselves in this nightmare white male gang violence narrative, I got real like Candace Owens vibes of like, why are you selling out to be with the worst people around? Like, why are you asking for them to like you? They're terrible people. Well, we can get into that, the psychology. Please. Yeah, let's get into that. I mean, my first thought was Stockholm syndrome, but technically they're not captive by these people but yeah I mean I think watching this movie obviously you know there's the gang violence and I was like wanting to research that a little bit more because I haven't really done a lot of um, research into that but the biggest thing that jumped out at me was just social identity theory yeah so this Mm -hmm. idea of being uh belonging to a certain group Mm -hmm. and seeing yourself as part of this in group as they're called and then seeing everyone else as kind of in the the out group and there's a lot of like evolutionary psychological reasons why people really want to do this it's a it's a well validated replicated phenomenon that people will uh like you know feel a sense of of uh loyalty to the group that they belong in regardless of how they've been grouped so obviously you know in this movie they're grouped based off of their country of origin or, you know, their, their ethnic backgrounds, their cultural backgrounds. But in psychology and social psychology, they've done this with like, uh, really arbitrary kind of criteria. So Mm -hmm. the original, um, study was like having people guess the number of dots on a screen. And if they guessed, uh, above the actual number, they were called overestimators. If they mm-hmm. guessed below the actual number, they were called yeah. underestimators, and they were split into two groups. And that over, like that threshold, was actually not even the correct number of de- dots. So, like, it was just completely wrong and arbitrary how they were grouped. <laughs> and people still, uh, you know, if they were trying to determine how to split up, like, you know, money, some kind of monetary reward, uh, they would give more to people in their group. Versus people in the out group. Yeah. And so there's this really interesting in-group favoritism. And there's also out group derogation. And I feel All like right. those th- those were such heavy themes in this movie. Yeah. And also like wanting to be part of a group. They're still trying to figure out like why that is such a powerful driver for people. Yeah. Um, you know, having social identity is like really important. Some early theories were about like it's really kind of central to your self-esteem is to feel like you know I'm a good person if I'm with this group that's a good group right and you have to kind of that's where the favorite favoritism kind of originates from is you are seeking goodness and Mm -hmm. uh you know if you're you know you have to be a good person people you know positivity bias people generally think they're good people yeah and um, Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and then, and so, if they're a part of a group, uh, you know, that's based on ethnic cultural background, they don't have a kind of a say in that. They're going to think their group is also good. Yeah. So, there's a lot of, um, you know, this this trans character. I think is uh, possibly, uh, like again, this is completely like a theory, but you know, they're they're. Uh, they're white, they're Caucasian, and maybe they're looking at the criteria that they can 
see in other people around them as opposed to the criteria that makes them excluded. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's this, you know, sense of belonging that, uh, especially for someone who does feel so, uh, on the outside of things, like that sense of belonging is a really powerful motivator, despite victimization, despite, uh, you know, not, not being accepted. This, this character is still really motivated to be part of this group. And I don't, I don't think that's like they're, they, they don't realize that they're being victimized. I think that's like they're mm-hmm. really intent on having this sense of belonging because it's something they don't feel right yeah. now. And it's, and that's maybe more detrimental Powerful. to their, their mental health than, you know, the victimization <laughs> that they're experiencing. So I thought that that was really interesting. You know, I really, I think social identity theory is just like, it's everywhere. And I it's feel like once everything. I, yeah, like once I learned about it, I just see it everywhere all yeah. the time. Um, and so obviously, this, you know, I think we see it a lot in politics of like Democrat versus Republican totally. versus you realize like everybody's taking money from the same people. It's this, this idea that they're different is kind of silliness right. when everybody's being paid by the NRA, mm-hmm. like Democrats and Republicans are being, you know, all of these things like, but we've got this idea that if a president does this or a president does that, right. When, when we're like, wait a minute, but who's, who's deporting like, um, you know, Muslims. And it's like, oh, wait, everyone. Right. But when Trump does it, it's Islamophobia. When Obama does it, it's, well, let's talk about something else. Right. right? It's this idea that that everything is so different when ultimately, like, most of these things, and that, that movie is kind of a, a really good example of, actually, when you look at what you're fighting for, you're all fighting for the same thing in a way that does not have to be antagonistic. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, it is. And, and the police officer, I mean... A cab, but the police officer is <laughs> is trying to make this point to them that you're all fighting for turf that won't be here. Right. So what's the point? But still favoring the white people, of course. Yeah. Um, because of social identity theory. Because of social identity white. theory. Yeah. Yeah. Messy. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all. I mean, yeah. That's literally, but in in gang, you are choosing a social identity. So even beyond whiteness, they're choosing jets and sharks. Totally. And I think. It's exacerbated uh, in for people who you know are uh, have low socioeconomic status or who have mm-hmm. uh, experienced childhood trauma, and that's like kind of a whole other thing of of these additional kind of motivators for why they might seek out a sense of belonging so kind of desperately. Like yeah. that's such a critical part of their uh, like feeling safe in a, in a world, in a environment where they're never safe. So I think there's like all of these additional, like it's exacerbated because of the environment that they're in, the social identity theory. And I think that's like, you know, it, there are reasons why gangs exist, right? There's not, it's not just like those people are bad and they decide to like work together. There are advantages. There are psychological and social advantages. Absolutely. Yeah. To doing so. Yeah, I think, and this really highlights the, like, the, I mean, the main characters of the film are essentially those who are either standing on the fringe or in the middle, right? So these sort of intersectional experience Mm -hmm. of, of course, Tony and Maria saying they'd like to have some overlap in this Venn diagram and they'd like to live in that. Rita Moreno's character, who's like, no, y'all, I've lived in that for a long time. She's kind of the most, most, like, Mm multi-integrated of 
any character. And she's saying, like, don't do it. Don't recommend. And then we've got our people on the fringe, like Chino, who's trying to fight to get into the Sharks. And we've got anybody's who's trying to fight to get into the Jets so that they feel the safety, the security, the sort of mental um, clarity of firmly being within the in-group rather than being on the sort of edge. Yeah, and Chino's actually a great example because his out-groupness is actually, like, being educated and getting mm-hmm. out of this entire mm-hmm. cycle of, of violence and, um, you know, low income and lack of opportunity. And he's actually, like, trying or, you know, the, they're trying to get him to and support him in kind of transcending this environment. And he still wants to be part of this group, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's actually against his best interests and his ability to, like, have, you know... so support himself you know and yeah it's against that and he still desperately wants to be part of this group yeah and and ultimately enacts like the greatest level of violence he's he's the only one who enacts fully intentional uh murder yeah absolutely spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) this is really interesting yeah i feel like every like everything is about social identity theory yeah well in that case let's just end the podcast now and we're done nothing else to say (laughs) and we're done no I think you know within that I think you know to speak to kind of your dad's point earlier to speak to the social identity theory I mean I think there's there's two ways you can of course look at this at this um I mean obviously somewhat critically but the the psychological expectations of what we have now versus the psychological expectations of the time that it came out also the the expectations of the time that it's set Right. Which are all yeah. sort of different periods. And so in order to, you know, we're, we're not here to critique whether West Side Story is a valid thing. I think it, it is it is a classic. It is beloved and it is a classic and beloved because it's hitting on things that resonate very profoundly and very deeply with people. Does it do all of those things at a 10 in a perfect way that has aged perfectly and, and all of those things? No, but these ideas of things like interracial relationships, right? When this came out, that was still progressive, right? Mm -hmm. That you are rooting for an interracial relationship was a big deal when it came out. It It was an impossible deal when it set. And then you look at it now where it feels like the to root against an interracial relationship would be profoundly racist, really problematic. But in our country, you know, the laws of quote, miscegenation, which is like the the legal term for interracial marriage. I think the last interracial marriage law was struck down in the mid 80s. Oh, really? Maybe late 80s in the US. Yeah. I mean, they were primarily put in place uh, as a black, white right. um, separation and segregationist policy. But so looking at this film, like it is incredibly progressive at the time. It's also interesting that, and this is a little bit of critical theory, a little bit of queer theory here. I mean, this film was written by gay men, cis white gay men, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of the the, the hyper masculinity as portrayed through ballet. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, right. the, so everything we're looking at is this strange sort of posturing in a way to lean people toward progress, mm-hmm. in a way to sort of in emphasize intersectionality, in a way to show, you know, the the parallels of these scenes, right? Where within the intra group dynamic is the exact same amount of discrepancy, the exact same amount of diversity, the exact same amount of um, 
shifting ideation, right? You've got the people, you, you've got the white people saying like, stop being such idiots, you know, let me, let's, let's stop this, this battle. You've got the Puerto Rican people saying like, you want to be here, you don't want to be here. I don't know what you want, right. but we can, we're allowed to disagree, right? Everybody is, has the same level of, of difference and discrepancy, which I think is a really interesting thing to portray. And I think, you know, the, this, this new script, I think really, really emphasizes that it is such a parallel process Mm -hmm. between that, which is, um, you know, an important thing to, you know, the, the more we are, the more things change, the more they stay the same, the more we're different, the more we're the same. And the idea of, of that is, I think really strong and sits with, sits with us, at least sat with me as I walked away pretty deeply. Yeah, absolutely. Although to your point before, you know, saying that this movie is told through the Jets lens, right? And I I thought that that was so um, apparent in this version where you have, uh, you know, the sharks and the the people who are uh, of Puerto Rican descent, like they Mm -hmm. are speaking Spanish and there's no subtitles. Yeah, very cool. I thought that was really interesting because, like, the people in the audience who don't know Spanish, my mom was, like, cracking up at every, like, she was, like, having the best time because she knows, knows, like, Spanish and English. And apparently I caught maybe 60% of it, but, you know. Yeah, same. um, Uh, Maybe 40 for me. Yeah, like, but apparently they were saying funny things. But, like, you know, it, the audience who doesn't know Spanish, it's kind of mirroring, like, or having the same a shared experience with the Jets, right? Yeah. It 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 makes you even more uh, sympathetic or like part of their experience in terms of see things through their lens, which like totally blew my mind. I was just like, it obviously, yeah, like even more greatly. Yeah, like obviously that was intentional, and I think it was really cool and like interesting. But it was, it was apparent to me that this was being told through the Jets lens, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You are, which is also interesting because I think the the funniest bit to me in this film is the least developed characters in the entire film are Tony and Maria. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We actually know the least about their psychological experience. All we know is this initial attraction and which, I mean also social psych, but just psychologically is really boiled down to physical sex characteristics, right? We're, yeah, they see one another. There's nothing else. They, they see one another and she automatically wants to kiss him. Yeah. In a way that, you know, is not a super profound emotional connection. Right. Um, they choose to have a fake wedding right off the bat, which like, listen, if we were, if we really wanted to go in, we could talk about like, the personality traits that lead to somebody like needing to feel married that quickly, uh, which are not particularly yeah, there's... like sustainable, <laughs> stable, like yeah, there's behavior other stuff. patterns. Yeah. Although, so you're saying that you don't believe in love at first sight. Is that you're going on I the think, record? <laughs> you know, the research actually shows that love at first sight is not, uh, is, is not any more accurate than any other, um, form of of attachment so love at first sight can happen yeah but i mean everything's a numbers game right so i mean there's a lot of interesting statistics about love and marriage that we'll get into when we talk about um 
films that are about divorce, films that are about marriage yeah. that um, one of our professors at University of Miami where we met, Brian Doss, has some really, really great info about. And we'll get there. But, yeah. but no, like, I mean, this, this idea is that these two people uh, immediately feel such a profound emotional connection that ultimately is not profound and is not particularly, uh, well, it is certainly emotional, but is not really grounded in much more than hotness. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, they're they're both very hot, but like you know, they're not wrong. Yeah. They're not wrong. Y- yeah, they're they're doing fine. <laughs> um, they're fine. I, she's stunning. I have you know, he's there's a lot in the news about uh. Oh really? Ansel oh, I didn't, know that. I didn't know that. He's he's has many many uh, allegations against him in a oh, way geez. that are similar and overlapping, and 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 that I uh, I certainly believe the women who have said what they've said about him. Oh, God. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, uh, texting uh, things, and then, um, and one of them in which somebody claimed, sorry, to go, feel free to skip ahead 15 (laughs) seconds if, just trigger warning, uh, for, somebody said that he assaulted her, and he came back saying, I didn't assault her, I just broke up with her and ghosted her, and that was immature of me, and I shouldn't have done so, and she reacted badly. It was not a good look. Yeah. It's not a good look for him. Yuck. Yeah, big yuck. Oh, damn. Also congruent with uh, men of this uh, particular era. So, yep. yeah, yuck. Look at the way that the men treat the women in this, in that totally. they are so... The, I mean, the most incredible character in this film is Anita. Yeah. And even she is ignored. Yep. I mean, Rita Moreno is pretty great, too. I forget her name, but Rita Moreno in this is... Valentina. Valentina. Yeah. Yeah, she's fabulous. Yeah. that oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's so much. There is transphobia. There is racism. There is misogyny. There is just a gross, like, a gross amount of violence. You know, and, okay, so to, like, I guess loop around, but so with the the violence and the way that these men are handling their frustrations their emotions Mm -hmm. right they only know how to do that through violence and even like you know uh what's his face tony like trying to get them to not fight was a totally you know futile effort where Mm -hmm. he appealed to both to bernardo and to riff and trying to get them to not fight and really appeal to them logically and that didn't work and understanding like why you know, what, what's the role of ego here? What's the role of, uh, you know, the psychology here and like making these men feel like their only option is, is violence against one, one another, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in this case, right, the dynamic that they're experiencing for their socioeconomic status, their, their, um, their race, their upbringings, right? They have, had so much taken from them, right? Especially, I mean, if you listen to like Officer Krupke, right? They talk about what it is to be pushed through the system as these kids that don't have their, you know, and they talk about their parents are all failures, they're whatever, whatever, whatever. Which interestingly, the white kids get a lot of context for why they're messed up. And the Puerto Ricans just get that they're Puerto Rican. (laughs) We're going to push that aside and name it as to say it's broken and wrong. But, um, you know, in, in a, when you've been raised in a dynamic in which you have everything taken from you, you have to fight for any scrap of respect. Anytime you are disrespected, it is such a grave 
offense. Mm -hmm. And that is because you have so little, so few experiences in which you are respected, which I think is, look at the way in which you see people reacting and acting, um, reality TV, um, in the world broadly, right? The idea of respect, the idea of the stiff upper lip, the hold it back, the, uh, the idea of brush it off if they're disrespectful to you, that's their problem, works very well when you're somebody of high status, works mm-hmm. very well when you're somebody of, of, you know, of privilege, of advantage, whether it's racial privilege or advantage, whether it's financial privilege or advantage, right? I grew up, if, you know, with enough safety and security and feeling respected that if somebody disrespects me, that's a one-off, not the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right. And so all of these moments of disrespect, of um, feeling isolated, feeling pushed out, every single one, they don't have a lot of security beyond it. So it makes total sense that psychologically a small attack like coming to the dance, right? Mm-hmm. Or being asked to, you know, having somebody talk to your sister, right? When you ha- feel like every single thing is being taken from you, then any additional thing being taken from you is a big thing. It's yeah. like, you know, you're exhausted, it's the end of the day, and you snap. And that makes total sense yeah. psychologically. I think, too, uh, there's a role here of just, like, a lack of... Uh, being able to like regulate your emotions, right? And presumably not having that modeled for you by an adult when you're a child, right? So like having never. absolutely no uh, idea how to do that for yourself and never seeing the people around you do that either, seeing how they react. There's, you know, generational kind of influences here where I think, you know, that's how maybe they saw things being dealt with when they were children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the only way that they experience authority and and power is through force is through the police mm-hmm. is through eviction mm-hmm. is through all of these things which are such um big sweeping gestures so their emotions also surface as big sweeping gestures right when they have complex emotion the easiest one to hold is anger because it is so self protective mm-hmm. it pushes others out to actually ask them like hey what if you all sit, sat with and validated each other's experiences of oppression? Right. That is, it, and it's not that, that it is uh, overly complicated for these characters to handle. It's that these characters have so little, uh, so, so few resources that asking them to handle something complicated is asking them to lift a lot more right. than, than they're actually able to because they're constantly managing all of these things. It's like, you're being chased by a bear and somebody's asking you to do calculus. You're all, your brain's not going to do it. And it's right. because they are always in fear of eviction. They're always in fear of arrest. They're always in fear of murder or of being assaulted or of, of any way in which that they are so paycheck to paycheck, so minute to minute, that asking them to do something nuanced and complicated, they lack the resources because of trauma. Yeah, I think, okay, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole thing here that's making me want to go into... Uh, kind of physiology of chronic stress. Please. Um, Please. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking a little bit about childhood trauma, potentially, presumably. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Intergenerational some, trauma. Totally. And there's something called the victim-offender overlap, right? Which is that um, often people who are offenders or, you know, committing crimes have a history of being victimized in some mm-hmm. way. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a huge uh, correlation between the two. Um, there's actually a study that suggests being abused or neglected as a child increases the likelihood of arrest as a juvenile 
by 59%, and as an, an adult by 28%, and for wow. violent crime, uh, 30%. And so, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a link here, right? And there's this, uh, you know, people who commit these offenses are almost, like, always also the victims of someone else doing something horrible to them. So um, I think, you're, you know, you're speaking to this trauma, this kind of chronic stress that affects when you're, you know, when you're a child, when you're developing, that's such a critical period, like your brain is not fully developed. And so I was looking into really the the impacts of that, right? So obviously, you know, you have some uh, like psychological issues of, of affect dysregulation, uh, poor impulse control, right? Mm-hmm. That's because you're disrupting uh, the frontal lobe, which is not fully developed yet. And that's kind of involved in impulse control. But childhood trauma can impact um, this part of your hormone system called the HPA axis, axis the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal pathway. Sure, yes, of course. That's what... Absolutely. Basically, that's what is involved um, when there's a stress it is this pathway of hormones mm-hmm. that releases cortisol into your body that um, allows you to kind of act quickly to respond to the threat. And right. so people with chronic stress, obviously there's um, issues in this this pathway because uh, the way the pathway works is relies on negative feedback. So once there's um, the cortisol released into your blood that helps you, you know, like, be faster, like make decisions uh, about how you're going to respond to this threat, it actually also goes back and inhibits the pathway because it's like, all right, we release the thing that we need to release, you can like relax. Um, But with chronic stress, you're constantly pumping out cortisol and your HPA axis gets less and less sensitive. And when you're a child and that's happening during a critical developmental stage, that actually is even more damaging for how you you know, develop into adulthood. So I was looking into actual changes in the brain that can happen. And there are changes in the amygdala and the hippocampus. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so childhood trauma has been linked to uh, deficits in both of these areas, which are critically involved in yeah. responding to fear um, and memory and, uh, you know, all of these things that, that would yeah. make sense that would be dysregulated in adulthood in these people who are committing crimes or who are behaving violently, it, it makes a lot of sense that there's morphological changes in the brain because of the, the, the stress that they experience in childhood um, that make it even, even if they could, may, they might even, you know, not have the ability to, to do that, right? Not that they never would. There's some, you know, evidence that you can learn that, right? There are treatments and ways to help. You can change your brain through like, yeah, things that you do. But um, certainly as they are being portrayed or their current state, there may actually be some like neurological differences in their brains because of the childhood trauma that they've experienced. In the ways in which they are able to both react Mm -hmm. to situations and the ways in which they hold the memories yeah. And and your memories are yourself, right? Your your memory is how you view your entire history, which is how you then react and move toward your future. Yeah. So it is this like, I mean, it is the lens over everything. Yeah. 
that you look at. It's, it's also, how you see yeah. the past and how you're going to look at the future. And it also is how you log what threats are, right? Yeah. Like how you understand for next time, what is this threat? How did I respond before? And, you know, what do I do now? And those are being impacted negatively through childhood trauma. Dang. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. So the solution is uh, we'll create the prequel, which is West Side Story Babies. <laughs> And like we Muppet will have Babies. A, exactly. <laughs> we'll be the teacher with just the legs. Yeah. Grammy. Or what, what was it? Gra- Nanny? Grammy? Granny? Granny. Was I think it she was called Granny. Okay. Maybe. Listeners, was it called Granny? <laughs> um, yeah, and we will do some early interventions yeah. and then see how uh, West Side Story looks with um, the cycle of trauma being interrupted. We're just going to pour in resources to these groups. Well, I mean, there's also restorative justice, right? This this doesn't yeah. have to be turn back time. This is something that could potentially, it could be a sequel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm here for that. Yeah. Let's do some uh, some nice psilocybin therapy totally. with folks and uh, really it. restore a lot of mindfulness. Yep. Uh, distress tolerance skills. And uh, we'll see what we can incorporate and make some big changes. Yeah. Love it. Well, this has been <laughs> really fun. Yeah, super fun. Uh, to those listening, uh, thank you so, so much for listening to, obviously, both parts of our premiere. I'm sure yeah. you've already heard both. Um, it would mean so much to us if you would hit that subscribe button, Please. leave a five-star review. If you have a less than five-star review, DM us at Real Psych. And tell us what you'd like us to work on. And then give us at least one more chance to see if we can uh, make some improvements for you. We, we love feedback. We were grad students. We love feedback. We love feedback. Just <laughs> please don't leave it on our actual review yeah. board. Because that will tank our ability to be heard by other people. But really and truly, we would love to be react- interacting with you. Hearing what your thoughts are. Hearing what your contributions are. Um, we have a real hope that in the future, we'll be able to sort of uh, take some comments and things we get in the DMs and read out what other people's thoughts are, what other people's reactions are to some of these movies. Um, But yeah, so please, please, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and tell your friends um, to give us a listen. Our goal is to be monetized enough that we can just hire an editor so that all we have to do is record this every week. So that's all we want. Just self-sustaining podcast. (laughs) That's the goal. Yep. I am Dr. J.D. Barton. I am Dr. Joanna Whitkin. Please find us on at Real Psych on Instagram and wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. Thank Yay, you. Bye. <laughs> bye. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.